Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, how, how is everyone today? Welcome to church. So honored to be here and to minister to you. So thankful also for those that are watching us online. I know I can't see you, but thank you as well for coming. It's so, uh, Awesome to be here. Like my wife and I serve, as Pastor said, at the Wilkie campus, and it's always a pleasure to come back here to New Milford. I almost feel like a kid off of college coming home. It's so it's so good to be back in this house. Can we give it up for our pastors, Pastors Frank and Lisa Santora? Thank you so much for giving me this honor to minister the word and fill in for you. Well, I know you guys are standing, so let's go on and make our Bible confession. If you're in need of a paper Bible or would like one, just raise your hand and our amazing ushers will assist you. You guys ready for the word today? How many of you are glad to be in church? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we're thankful to be in the land of the living. Amen. Well, let's uh, make our Bible confession. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. You sound wonderful. My assignment today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12. We're still in our series, Living for Jesus in Today's World, and my assignment is Romans, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. If you want to follow along with me exactly, I'm I'm reading from the uh, New King James Version. Uh, So if you have your Bible app and you want to follow along. Also, for those of you joining us online, go on and get out your Bible as well, and let's get ready to receive from the Lord. You guys ready? If you, if you still need some time, say, hold on. All right, all right, come on now, all right. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, and the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Rome, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse three, for I say, and this is interesting, pay close attention to this through The grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Somebody say amen to that. Can we humble ourselves? But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. A measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... But all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching... He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy 
with cheerfulness. We're almost done. Let love be without hypocrisy. I abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitalities. This is a hard one right here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Look at your neighbor. No, I was kidding. Um, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, somebody say, if it is possible. If it is possible, watch this. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Mm. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to speak to you from the subject matter, reflective behavior. Reflective behavior. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. The flower fades, the grass withers, but your word shall stand forever. I'm so thankful for everyone that is here in this house and everyone watching. I pray that your power would be manifested in their life and that you would use me as your servant to deliver your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As I was meditating on this verse and contemplating what I would share and praying, of course, I couldn't help but be reminded of the times that my sister and I had in my mother's home growing up in Richardson, Texas. I have an older sister who's about four years older than me, and uh, my mother, unfortunately, through a series of events, turned out to be a single parent, and she raised the both of us. And I can remember when we would go to the store or when we would go to uh, a friend's house or it would be the first day of school. One of the things that she would always do is pull us to the side or sit us down and say, don't forget your manners. Don't forget your yes, your please. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Thank you. Don't forget all of that. And don't forget that when you behave or when you don't behave, you are a reflection of me. Don't embarrass me as a parent. Don't act a fool because I will come up there. I lived in a day where my mom on the first day of school would go up to the principal and this is when spanking was actually allowed in schools and she would tell the principal, if my son gets out of line, you have my permission to spank him. And when he gets home, he will be spanked again. 
But can I be honest with you? I think we've gotten away from some of these values and these teachings. It's almost like sometimes we're leaving it up to kids to understand what it means to have manners, but we have to train them and we have to show them what's right and what's wrong so that they can gain a sense of respect, not only for their parents, but also for other people. How many of you know that our kids, the way they behave is a reflection of our parenting? Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. They may veer away and they may have seasons where they may uh, uh, be distracted or pulled away. But the promise is that God will bring them back. And that's what we rest on. But did you know that God is the same way? That God is very concerned about our behavior. And not only the way that we act but the way that we treat others. In Titus chapter 3, verse 8, it provides clarity on this subject, and it says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We will dive into this a little bit more later, But you see that it's important to God how we act, how we live, because it corresponds to the way that he is in our life and how he treats us. You know, I've noticed even in my marriage, and and I know I've mentioned this before, that I can sometimes be selfish. I can sometimes just think about myself and not be concerned. But when I spend time in the word of God. When I spend time in prayer, when I spend time worshiping the Lord, it's amazing when you are filled up, you have the capacity to give out. You have the capacity to love. You have the capacity to be patient. You have the capacity to see the good in somebody when it's real easy to look at the bad. Can I get an amen? It's important for us. More than likely, and Pastor mentioned this, this will be our last sermon in this series, Living for Jesus in Today's World. And I felt led of the Lord to minister from this admonition that the Apostle Paul gives to a vibrant church in Rome. And this church was comprised of Jews along with Gentiles. Now, I understand that a couple of weeks ago at our midweek Bible study here at our new Milford campus, you guys were in the book of Romans. But for those who could not attend, I felt that it was relevant to give you a little bit of context so that we can understand what Paul was after in this chapter that we just read. Amen? Romans stands out. In the history of Christianity, countless men and women have singled out Romans as the weapon God graciously used to bring about their surrender to Christ. Um, Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, and others received unexpected volleys from Romans that pierced their defenses and ended their rebellion against God. Romans includes the most systematic presentation of theology found in all of scripture. It explains the meaning of the cross for believers. While expounding on why Jesus died for all humanity, Paul clarifies the core concepts of the Christian faith, which includes sin and righteousness, faith and works, justification and election. It also happens to contain one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, chapters rather, chapters five through eight. The reason why I love these chapters so much is because it teaches us our identity in Christ. How many of you know that it's important as we live during these times, we have to know who we are and we have to know whose we are and know that God is for us and not against us. 
See, one of the things that you have to make clear in your mind and in your heart, I am positionally perfect in Christ, though I struggle transitionally. So my position in him is perfect. That cannot be moved. The Bible says that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6 that he that has begun a good work in me shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I can have overwhelmingly confidence in God that he's going to finish what he started in me. It doesn't matter what trial I go through. It doesn't matter what's happening in this world, in the economy, around me. God says that he will take care of me and he will provide for me. Some of you need to know right now that if God so clothes the lilies, if he takes care of the birds who neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, he will take care of you. God is your source, not that job. I feel like some of you in this place, and I sense this in my spirit, some of you in this place, there are talks of layoffs at your job. Some of you may be in between jobs right now. I've talked to several people that have decided to start their own business. And may I say congratulations on stepping out in faith, but know that the road may be difficult, but God is faithful. He will give you the wisdom that you need so that you will experience success in your life so that you can advance his kingdom. Amen. Amen. But what was Paul after in Romans 12? Normally at the end of Paul's letters, towards the end of his letters, he would almost give some concluding thoughts or a list of of duties or things that he would admonish the people that he was writing to. And it was meant to be a correlation to what he just talked about. And this is the case as we look at Romans chapter 12. 12.1, he says, therefore, connecting everything that he just talked about. And in his discussion in chapter 11, he was actually talking about our position as Gentiles, as it pertains to the Jews. See, we have to understand, if it weren't for the Jews' unbelief, we as Gentiles, non-Jews, we would have never had a chance to be engrafted into the kingdom of God. Are you guys with us? So we are that wild olive branch the Bible talks about that wasn't grafted in, But the Jews are the root. But can you imagine to provoke the Jews to jealousy? He caused all of these Gentiles to come into the kingdom. So we have to understand that the Jewish people, we have to pray and believe for their salvation and also for their return to Christ because they don't support us or or we don't support them, but they support us. They are the root, but we are that branch. And so we have to pray for them and believe God for their salvation. I want to bring up my first point, looking at this scripture that we just read. Our relationship with God should be reflected in the way that we use our body. Let me say that again. Our relationship with God should be reflected in the way that we use our body. You know, this scripture is very interesting to me because as I look at the totality of scripture, there are two people that offer themselves as a living sacrifice. Jesus was one, obviously, but there's another one that I didn't really factor in until preparing this message, and that is Isaac in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 22. Before I get to Isaac, let's look at Jesus. You know what's powerful about Jesus as we talk about this subject of offering our bodies and presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice? Do you realize what it took for Jesus to come to this earth? 
Do you realize how he subjected himself, how he limited himself in such a way to where he could put on human flesh so that he could identify with our weaknesses and our struggles? In another letter that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Paul talked about Jesus' humility and his willingness to take on human flesh and to literally subject himself to everything that he went through. I always like to say it was almost like Jesus became a roach. Now, I know we're here in Connecticut, but in Texas, they got some big cockroaches, some big ones. But it was equivalent to that because how degrading it was for Jesus to take on human flesh. In heaven, he existed as a spirit. And when he was born through Mary, he took upon himself human flesh. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points just like we are, but yet he never sinned. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by somebody, Judas. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one, Lazarus. He knows what it's like to be abused and brutally mistreated for something that he didn't do when he was mistreated by those who were persecuting him with the crown of thorns on his head when they whipped him on his back. There is nothing that you could possibly go through in this life that Jesus cannot identify with. Because he loves you and because he went the distance. But if Jesus was willing to take on human flesh, isn't it our reasonable service to offer our bodies unto God so that Jesus can continually use us on this earth? If he was willing to take on human flesh, Isn't it our reasonable service to give him our lives, to give us our body? Do you realize that your body is not your own, that you were bought with a price? I can remember when I was in college, people would have a lot of questions like, Pastor Brandon, is it okay to drink? Is it okay to get a tattoo? Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? And you know what? I don't want to be legalistic, but I do want to say this. Have you consulted God? Because when you realize that your body is not your own and that you were bought at a price, everything that I do should be submitted unto the Lord to receive clarity in that particular area. We're called to be a witness for Christ. I know that's a big discussion that we can get into, but suffice it to say, we should be going to the Lord and consulting him and asking him for guidance. Are are you guys with me? The other point that I want to make is, is with Isaac. Some of you guys may not know who Isaac is, but he was the son of Abraham and Sarah. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter 22. This was the long-awaited son that they had that they were believing God for. And this son of theirs was born, and then God, in a way to test Abraham, he asked Abraham to take his son, Isaac, his son through Abraham and Sarah, on the mountain and offer him up as a sacrifice. And most of you guys know the story. As Abraham was going up the mountain, he told his servants, he said, I want you to stay here with the donkeys. The King James Version says it another way. But I want you to stay here with the donkeys while me and the lad go up yonder. But he said, we will return. We will return. And when they went up there, the Bible says that Abraham bound Isaac And he put him on the wood. And watch this. Isaac was actually called to carry the wood up the mountain. Something that I realized as I was studying this is I was curious to know the age of Isaac. And as I did my research, 
Commentators believe that Isaac was uh, between the ages of 18 all the way up to 33. And there are various reasons why they come to that conclusion. One being because he was carrying his own wood. And also the age of his parents. I don't have time to get into that, but you can look it up. But the point that I want to make there is Isaac had a choice. He had a choice. Even though his father asked this of him, even though the Bible says that his father bound him, if he was between the ages of 18 or 33, trust me, I have seen some kids act a fool. (laughs) Like in this world, he could have like... um. Uh, kind of wrestled or ran away or walked away from this sacrifice. But the fact that he was willing to lay down his life, he literally became a living sacrifice, even though he didn't sacrifice, but he died to himself. He died to his life. He died to everything that meant something to him because that's what his father asked of him. Is this not a vivid picture of God and Jesus Christ? Didn't Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was willing to lay down his life. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how young you are. God is asking, will you be a living sacrifice for me here on this earth? Will you be willing to put your agenda and your plans on the back burner and give me first place in your life? Something that Pastor Frank has been talking about all throughout this series. It's about priorities. It's about giving him first place. He was willing to be a living sacrifice. You know what's interesting, and some of you may know this already, but just for the sake of reminder, you are a spirit. At your core, you are a spirit. You have a soul, which is made up of your mind, emotions, and your will, and you are housed in a body. The connotation behind what Paul is after is he wants your whole being to become a living sacrifice unto the Lord. You know when you're frustrated and you're angry or maybe somebody's getting on your last nerves? This is when God is asking you to be a living sacrifice. Be careful what you say. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When you're having a political discussion with somebody, and maybe it's not going in the direction that you chose for it to go, will you at that moment become a living sacrifice and accept being wrong at the sake of trying to reconcile with that person? Am I talking to somebody? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe... The communication has gone on deaf ears and they're not understanding you or they're not realizing what you're going through and what it is that you're asking for. Will you become a living sacrifice and be willing to go to counseling and be willing to offer help, be willing to look inwardly at what you're doing wrong versus pointing the finger at somebody else? It's amazing when you start working on yourself, you become a conduit for change for other people in your life. Are you with me? He's calling us to be different. Point number two that I want to make is our relationship with God should be reflected in the way we operate in the body of Christ. You know, one of the things that stands out to me in verses three through eight in our main text is that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Do you realize that you were saved when you gave your life to Christ as a Christian? Ephesians chapter 2 says you were saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should be able to boast. But even the gifts that God gives unto us, those gifts are in accordance with God's grace. What is grace? 
It's God's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It is something that he lavishly pours upon us. I had somebody ask me this past week as we were meeting together for discipleship, what was it about Abraham that caused God to choose him of all the other men that were on the world or, or in the world at that time? It was God's grace. Grace is not something that we're entitled to. It's something that God lavishly pours upon us because of his love. You can tell when somebody understands grace because they are a graceful person towards other people. When you realize what Jesus has done in your life, when you realize what he has taken you from, what he has freed you from, how he has set you free, put your feet on solid ground, it ought to be clear in your behavior that person understands grace. Are you with me? He who has been forgiven much loves much. You can always tell when somebody has had a major breakthrough in their life because their praise and their worship is different. It's not polished. It's not polite. Sometimes it can be a little messy. Sometimes the mascara can run all over. Sometimes uh, some musk can begin to develop because of how much energy they're exerting in that moment. Why? Because they understand I wouldn't be here if it weren't for God in my life. Are you with me? The gifts we receive from God are based on his grace. As a reminder, grace is defined as God's unmerited favor. The gifts are the, these gifts that we receive, and I want to be clear on this, are not the result of intense prayer or spirituality. These gifts are given to us by God's grace. If you are a born again believer in Christ, you have received at least one gift to be able to benefit the body of Christ. But it's up to us to discover what those gifts are. And have you discovered, for those of you who know who your gift is or you know what your gift is, have you come to a place of realizing there is so much joy when you're operating in the gifts that God has given you? There is so much joy. There is so much peace when you're operating in what God has lavished upon you. It's powerful. It's powerful. God simply gives everyone certain gifts so each person can strengthen the church. This should humble us. It should create an appreciation in our hearts. It's been said that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. He doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. Now, it's worth mentioning because I know even as I made that statement, some people may believe, well, once I receive this gift, there's nothing that I should be doing. But you can develop the gifts that God has given you. As you begin to exercise them, as you begin to use them in God's kingdom, they begin to grow and they develop on the inside of you. I can remember some of you guys know my testimony when I first gave my life to Jesus at Texas A&M University Commerce, uh, Texas, and I gave my life to the Lord. I had a love for God's word and I just began to read the Bible out loud. I had a stuttering problem was labeled uh, uh, with a learning disability. School was a struggle growing up. But I remember as I began to read God's word out loud, not only did it transform my speech, but it also transformed my ability to retain and remember information. And it was a miracle that took place. See, God's word is powerful. It's living and it's powerful. And I know this for a fact because it happened to me. But God is no respecter of persons. What is it that God needs to bring to life in you? If you will just submit to God's ways, to his process, and study his word, you will begin to see changes in your life that will begin to manifest. 
He is faithful to do it. We don't have time to expound on all of the gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, but I want us to look briefly just at some of the gifts that Paul mentioned in our main text. He talked about prophecy or prophesying. Prophesy in our main text generally refers to all types of gifts that involve speaking God's word. In a narrow sense, prophecy means the revealing of God's will in a particular situation. Scripture mentions five speaking gifts. You have prophecy, teaching, encouragement, the word of wisdom, and the word of knowledge. Just really quick, I can remember when I was in college um, and, and during the time when God was really drawing me and when I truly submitted my heart to the Lord. Most of you know that I grew up like my father was Catholic when my mom and dad or my, my mom and dad were married. Uh, he came from a Catholic background. When, when my mom and dad divorced, we started going to a Baptist church and not to speak against Catholicism or Baptist, but I had never been exposed to spiritual gifts. And I can remember when I was on the college campus, there was a ministry group that came on campus. And there was this young man who all of a sudden, uh, after the service was over during the worship time, he started going around to certain people. And he must have been like maybe 16 or 17 years of age. And he was going around talking to people. And I noticed after he would get finished talking with them, they would cover their mouth. And it's almost like they were shocked and surprised of the knowledge that he had of their situation. It's almost like he knew their history, but he had never met them. And I didn't realize it until now that what he was operating in was a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. He was revealing certain things that had gone on in their lives. And then he was giving them a word of wisdom to show them how God was going to use it and where God was going to take them. The gifts of God are for today. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have not passed away with the apostle. They are still in operation because as long as Jesus has not come back, these gifts are meant to spur us on to good works and encourage us. The gifts are for today. Amen. The other gift that he talks about is ministry. Sometimes we have this idea that it's our responsibility solely as pastors to lead people to Christ. But if you look at the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul teaches us that we're called to equip the saints that they may go out and do the work of the ministry and discipling and leading people to Christ. And then through that process, it's almost like the person comes to you and asks by default. And by the way, where do you go to church? And they come to church after you've poured into them and disciple them and share the word with them. Ministry means service. And is in contrast to the speaking gifts, these gifts are helps. How many of you can be helpful? Amen. Do you realize even before somebody walks through these doors and they hear the message, when they get to the parking lot, if that experience is a bad experience, they'll be totally turned off to the message. Somebody could be a greeter. Somebody could be a parking lot attendant. Somebody could help in the resource area. And a lot of you guys do this, but can I submit to you? We need more help in the house of God. We need more people to use the gifts and the callings that God has given us so that we can flourish as a body and so that you can experience God's joy because you're using what he has given you. Are you with me? Ministry means service. And the gifts that he mentioned are helps, mercy. Can I ask y'all something? How many of you in here would say you have the gift of mercy? You are a merciful person. 
Okay, come on. <laughs> you know what? He's here in this room, and, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Pastor Frank is probably, um, out of all the men of God that I've submitted to and served with, I have seen this man exercise so much mercy to people in various situations. I have seen him do things that maybe other people would not do, even maybe to a fault. But one thing that you cannot say about our pastor is that he is not a merciful and forgiving man. Can we give it up for him? Amen. Even on the basketball court. Now it's, all right, here we go. Um, so we have faith. We have discerning of spirits. We have leadership. Did you know that leadership is a gift? Some of you guys are just gifted in the area of leadership. You have influence. You have followers. You're able to see things strategically. See, you have to understand when you're in that job setting, don't think for a moment the promotion was because of your skills. You have been given a gift and God has given you that gift. So it is him that should always receive the glory for any promotion that is ever received within a job. Come on, somebody. The Bible says in Proverbs 21.1 that the king's heart is in the palm of the Lord's hands and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. There are certain people that have been gifted with leadership and there are certain people that have been gifted with managing. And sometimes those are not the same, but they can be mutually exclusive to one another. Are you guys with me? But leadership, managing, and giving, he mentions giving is a gift. There are some people that, let's say, they give of their tithes, which is something that we should do to honor the Lord and to put him first and to support the work of the ministry. But there are some people that just have a heart to give. I can remember we have a friend of ours who lives in Texas, and Judy probably knows exactly who this girl is, but she just had a giving nature. She was the type of person that um, if she found out about a family that was wanting to put on a party for their child, man, this girl would go all out. She would find the discounts. She would find the deals. And I'm talking about this would be almost like a Disney-sponsored presentation for a party for a three-year-old. But she just loved to give. And one of the things that I notice is People would often take advantage of that and people would come and tell her, people are taking advantage of you, you should stop doing this. But what they failed to realize, if I cease operating in my gift, there goes my joy as well. Because this is where I find my joy, this is where I find my peace, this is how I glorify the Lord because he has given me this gift. Be careful what people say to you. Before we leave this point, we can all agree we live in a world of comparison. I was comparing Cooper Rush to Dak Prescott. <laughs> Pastor Frank and I were having a conversation. Should Dak come back? Should he not? Especially in sports. There is always this sense of comparison. Like, and I understand it to a certain extent because how can somebody's credentials or their skill or their talent be validated if there aren't any other comparisons? But in the body of Christ... It should be much different. In the body of Christ, there's no competition. In the body of Christ, all of us make up a physical body of Christ. Just like with your physical body, if one part of your body hurts, it seems like your whole body begins to feel the effects of that particular pain. 
It should be the same way in the body of Christ. When you are blessed, when you are exalted, everyone should get excited. When you are going through something or you're going through a trial or you're going through an issue, it should be the church as a body of Christ. We should rally around one another to help each other instead of casting somebody down and looking on them with judgment. Are you with me? We're supposed to be there for one another. And we all have different gifts. We all have different temperaments. We all have things that God has blessed us with. So there should never be any jealousy because I realize the Lord is the one that gave this. I realize even as I stand up here today, it is only by God's grace that I stand here today. So how dare I ever become jealous or envious of someone else's talent or gift in God? I'm trying to fulfill what you put on my life. You know, envy, I've said this before, is one of the worst sins that you can commit. Why is envy one of the worst sins that you can commit? Because with every other sin, there is a temporary fulfillment in that sin. Temporary. And then it leads to destruction. But with envy, from the moment that you commitment, it's never enjoyable. It's never enjoyable. Because there's something in you that is upset or mad at what somebody else possesses. But God has given us more grace. He's given us more grace. Let me bring this in for a close. Our relationship with God should be reflected in the way that we view every circumstance. What is it that we say around here all the time? With Jesus, you are. Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Is that not our vision? Is that not our mandate in this house? To recognize with Jesus on our side, we can accomplish all things. You know, as I was talking to various people this week at our, at our campus, and some of them may be watching. The pastor side of me was just coming through in the sense that I was feeling for some of the people and what they were going through in our church. Um, some of them have lost children, um, have, have died to, because of drugs. Um, some of them um, financially, job situations. Um, some of them had been walking through trials in their body, even though they've been believing God for healing and continue to believe God for healing. But one thing became apparent to me is there is a fight on the inside of us as believers. And sometimes that fight doesn't always come from ourselves. But when we rally around each other, when we encourage each other, when we, you know, because here's the temptation. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment. What is our natural tendency when things are going on in our lives? We pull away. We become distance. We stop coming to church. And we kind of come into this uh, place where we just are alone. But the truth of the matter is we're never alone because greater is he that is what? That is in us than he that is in the world. But not only that, God has placed us as believers to be in each other's lives, to encourage each other. You know, this is a narrow path. That God has chosen for us. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 14. Jesus says narrow is the gate. But broad is the way which leads to destruction. How many of you know it's difficult to live for Jesus in these times? 
It's difficult to take a stance on relationships. It's difficult to take a stance on your gender. It's difficult to take a stance on righteousness because the moment that you take a stance, you're going to receive persecution and you're going to be labeled to be a certain way. But here is the thing. We have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In our prayer time on Wednesday nights, um, at the Wilkett campus from 5.30 to 6.30, we pray. And one of the things that I felt led to pray for, and I pray for those in here as well, for those of you that are in the school systems, for all of you administrators and teachers and principals. I have a principal in my house, so my heart's always going to lean towards that. But at the same time, they are under a lot of attack. And there's a lot of situations that you find yourself being put in. Lord, how do I respond to this? If this is what I'm called to teach, this is not what I signed up for. But at the same time, I don't want to lose my job and I want to be respectful. God will provide the answer. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 5 that if any man or woman lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. But let them ask in faith with no doubting. Are you with me? God is going to give you the wisdom that you need. Listen here. If you place your faith. In anything other than Jesus, you are bound to be disappointed at some point. You're bound to be disappointed at some point. Your marriage can't be the foundation of your hope. Your hope has to be in Jesus. Your job can't be the foundation of your hope. Your foundation has to be in Jesus. Your skills, your credentials, your PhD, your degrees, that can't be the foundation of your worth. Your worth is found in God, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him, that he's the one that crafted you when you were in your mother's womb, that he knows the hairs that are on your head, that he's well acquainted with all of your griefs, all of your struggles. I know that I will overcome because he is with me and he knows my frame and he knows my frame. Paul challenges us to have a certain mindset in every circumstance. He reminds us the greatest proof of the truth of the gospel message and of the reality of Jesus' love is the love believers show to each other. And our service unto God, we should not do it half-heartedly. This is something that I was even challenged by. Sometimes even as a pastor, sometimes you can get into a mode of just going through the motions. But you have to be mindful of this and be willing to get at the feet of Jesus and say, God, renew a steadfast spirit on the inside of me. Help me, Lord, to go after you with my whole heart. Help me to pursue you just like I did when you first intervened in my life. God is calling us to have a hunger for him and to yearn for his presence and to be used of him wherever he calls us to serve. Are you with me? Stand with me here in this place. As believers... We should always see the glass half full. We should always be optimistic in every circumstance, patient through every trial, quick to listen versus speaking, and diligent in taking everything to the Lord for guidance because he loves us, because he loves us. As I bring this in for a close, one of the main points or one of the main drivers behind Paul's closing thoughts in this letter is to take what I've taught you And to put it into practice. What does it mean if you know all of these scriptures? You go to church every single week. 
You can quote the Bible backwards and forwards, but there's no joy in your life. You're not exercising it in your daily life. I can remember when, when I was first ministering, and I used to uh, minister, and I used to be real calm and wouldn't fluctuate my voice. And I remember a brother in Christ coming to me and saying, Brandon, bro, if Jesus has done anything in your heart, you ought to express it. If he saved you, if he's redeemed you, it ought to be shown clearly in the way that you communicate. There ought to be a passion. There ought to be a zeal. There ought to be a desire. Can I ask you guys something? Are you excited about the things of the Lord? Are you excited about what he has in store for your future? Are you excited that you are the head and not the tail, that you are uh, above and not below? I'm not asking you to look at your bank account. I'm not asking you to look at the records that are coming from the doctor. I'm asking you to look at God's word. You are victorious. And if God has given us this victory, we have to begin to proclaim it. People need to see the joy of the Lord in our faces. They need to know that there's something different about us. That we're not just going through the motions. We're not just checking a box when we go to church. But I love Jesus and I'm thankful for what he's done in my life. And I want to be a witness for him until I leave this earth. Do you have that passion? Do you have that zeal? Do you remember where you were when Jesus saved you? Do you remember what you were doing? Do you remember the circumstances that surrounded what was happening in your life when he changed you? Don't forget where you came from. I don't. I want to ask before we close, is there anyone here you would say, Pastor Brandon, I've never given my life to Jesus. I recognize that he took my place. I recognize now that he took upon himself human flesh and he died so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be set free, so that I could enter into a relationship with God. I want to receive him into my life. I want to receive his finished work on the cross. I want to give my heart to him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Anyone here, even those watching online, are you ready to give your heart to the Lord? Anyone here, raise your hand. You want to give your life to Jesus. For the sake of those who may have raised their hand, everyone repeat this prayer after me. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior. I confess that I am a sinner and I am in need of your grace. Take control, God. I lay my life down to you now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, for those of you watching online, or for those of you that may be in the metaverse, please let us know so that we can send you some resources. And also, we would love to have you come here in person. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day. Pray that the Lord blesses you and keeps you and uses you wherever he takes you to be a witness for him. In Jesus' name.